With that, if you're able, I wanted to invite you to stand and uh, respond to the reading of God's word from Mark chapter 7. It's also in your bulletin. The, the passage in your bulletin is a little longer than what I'm going to read this morning. Um, and there is a an invitation to respond where you see bold text. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. From there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. There is a really fine line between being humbled and being humiliated. Being humbled and being humiliated. There's the same Latin root, which is humus. And it's a really interesting word. It means fertile ground. Ground. If you're humbled or humiliated, you're low. Low as dust. But it's fertile ground. It's the place where stuff can grow where it can spring up. But what's the difference between being humbled and being humiliated? I'll give you an example. If you can imagine, and you don't have to imagine, if you can remember coming across someone begging in the street. Let's say you're in a car at a traffic light, and you know there's, there's the way where if you're at a light, sometimes the homeless make their way up the row of cars with their sign, and Maybe they're making eye contact, maybe they're not, and they're looking down, and that's often, not always, it's the look of humiliation. There's shame there. They've been brought low, um, but it's, it's mixed with a crushing blow to their ego. And sometimes you're more ashamed, though, if, let's say, you're not the one begging. That's not most of us. You're, you're the one who's maybe trying to avoid eye contact yourself. And that, that says more about you. Maybe you're the one who's humiliated. Maybe you're the one who's ashamed. Sometimes it's like playing chicken with eye contact when you're, like, coming across somebody in need in the street. The shame there. Humiliation involves wounded pride. That's the difference between humiliation and being humbled. If you could, when you're humiliated, you would hide, if you could. Or you'd get furious. Both can be responses to shame. And you'd try to turn the tables, if you could, on the other person who humiliated you. But nothing nothing about this has to do with being humbled. All of that's humiliation. What is being humbled? 
When you're humbled, you're brought low by circumstances in a similar way as humiliation, but you bear it willingly in repentance and love. You bear it willingly in repentance and love. It's fertile. Something can grow from there, not from humiliation, but from being humbled. Something can grow from this space if you can bear this in love and repentance. This is exactly what's going on with this woman that Jesus encounters in Mark 7. We're told she's a Syrophoenician woman. She's from up north. She's been humbled, but not humiliated. Her daughter, we're told, is possessed by a demon, and there is no one else she can go to. Let me give you some context. If you've uh, just jumped into this series, we're in the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus, in this narrative, goes about as far north in the world as he ever goes in his pre-resurrection life. He goes about as far north as he ever goes, north of Israel, into the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is modern-day Lebanon, where people don't mix much with the Jews. In that world, they didn't. And they worship differently. So Jesus crosses a geographic line here. There's lots of lines being crossed in this passage. Jesus crosses the first one, and it's a geographic line. Probably he's going north to run because it's not his time yet. It's not time yet for his crucifixion. But if you were with us last week, Jesus just preached a sermon to people who were already trying to kill him. We hear about that as, as early as Mark 3. He preaches a sermon to people who are already trying to kill him. And to put it lightly, it's not a nice sermon. It gets under their skin. So he goes to get a little rest, to get a little cover. He definitely doesn't want to be bothered. And yet this woman comes to him. And she is actually the one who crosses the most lines in this story. Let me just give you a, f a few. There's the gender barrier. She runs, and in Matthew's narrative, we're told she falls right at his feet. She gets very, very close to this Jewish man. So there's an ethnic line in addition to the geographic line being crossed. There is there's a gender line. There's also a theological or worshiping line. She worships differently. And this is probably the biggest line that's crossed. If you were in the first century reading about a woman from Phoenicia, from Syria, you would know that this is the place in the scriptures that's historically known for Baal worship. And Baal worship was mainly known for their practice of sacrificing children to Baal. This is where she comes from. And there's not a little irony that this woman who comes from the land of child sacrifice comes to Jesus because she's concerned about what? The life of her daughter. She's turning from the worship of her own people and coming to the Jewish Messiah, not humiliated, but having been humbled because there's nowhere else that she can go. She's crossed all boundaries as a last resort, and she comes as a beggar. She's all the way down on the, on the fertile ground. Matthew, again, tells us she's on the ground, kneeling at the feet of Jesus in the parallel passage in Matthew 15. 
humbled, but not humiliated. And this is the place on her knees before Jesus, where Jesus says something terrible to her. I don't know if you caught it. I I think uh, Stephen, yeah, Stephen referenced this passage briefly at the end of his sermon from last week. What does Jesus say to her? Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What does that mean? Well, it means a number of things. First of all, Jesus is clearly saying, I came not to be just a healer in general to any people group all over the known world. I came to be the Messiah of Israel, the son of David, who came to fulfill the story of Israel. And then after his crucifixion and resurrection, as many of you know, in the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew, that's when he says to his disciples, now you go and and go every single place where you can stand in this world and tell them about what I've done. He cares very much about the nations, but his particular calling in his lifetime was to the nation of Israel. That's his self-understanding. But why does he call her a dog? I mean, my goodness, he could have said that in so many different ways. Hey, I'm not mainly here from you. I'm being hunted right now. I need a little rest. Why does he call her a dog? A couple things. It does seem like this was a common slur between Jews in their northern Gentile neighbors. And and by the way, the favor was repaid. It does also seem like the Gentiles referred to Jews as dogs. Of course, the Jews didn't like the idea of their neighbors historically worshiping Baal. Which, by the way, they sacrificed their children to Baal because they believed that it would help their gross domestic product. They believe it would bless their fertility and they're not the last culture to sacrifice children for the sake of economic gain. And they called them dogs. Was it right? No. But they also believed that they had a higher standing with God and they had a privileged place that could never be shaken. And they referred to them as dogs and the favor was returned. But it's Jesus that's speaking. Why does Jesus have to be the one that calls this woman on her knees a dog? The woman at the well in John 4, who's at a low, low point, doesn't call her a dog. A centurion, a Roman brutal soldier in Matthew 8, right after he's done preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus encounters him and he has great faith that Jesus can heal his servant who's far away. And Jesus marvels at his faith and uses it as a teaching moment for his disciples. He doesn't call him a dog. Why does this woman right here, be, why does she get called a dog? Does Jesus really mean to say that she's nothing more than a dog? No. The answer is really clearly no. How do I know this? This is a lesson for Jesus' disciples. Jesus just finished a sermon about cleanness. About how the idea that some of the religious elites in Israel, some of them, had a really bad idea about what it meant to be clean before God and unclean. And it's not an accident that right after that sermon, Jesus encounters a quote-unquote unclean woman to make a point to his disciples. Because he knows what's in her heart, but he also knows what's in his disciples' hearts. In Matthew's account, they say, get 
her away. They say, ah, unclean, get her away from us. Jesus uses a slur to make a point about the grace of God. I don't know what you want to do with that. I don't know what I want to do with that, but it's what we're given and there's no getting around it. One time, one time, Jesus used a slur to make a point about the grace of God and how there's no place that grace can't reach. What's that point about the grace of God? It's this. This woman has no claim on grace. This woman has no claim on grace. She's not in the family of Israel. She's in a community of idolatry. She's not front and center in Jesus' sense of mission during that era. And yet, the bread of life is still there for the asking for her. Who would it not be there for? Did you get what she says back to Jesus? What'd she say back to Jesus? She says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, it's right. You shouldn't give to the dogs the bread of the children. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, what's she saying? What in the world does she mean back to Jesus? In her humility. She is saying, I have no doubt that I'm unworthy, but even a crumb of grace will be enough. Even a crumb of grace will be enough for me if you have mercy on me. And Jesus says, for this, your daughter's healed. My mother had a heart attack this week on Thursday. I was down in the office around noon, got a call. Me and my sister and my dad got to the hospital. And um, you're sitting there kind of waiting. They have a, not exactly a chaplain, but uh, that's the first time. It's like, oh, <laughs> they, they sent the, the um, spiritual care. We call it spiritual care department. <laughs> To us, like, oh, that's not a great sign. Um, right away, before we got on the elevator, and took us up. And um, we waited, and they took, the doctor eventually came out and said, it's a, it was a, it was a massive heart attack. He kept saying, you know, if, there were, if this were a normal heart attack. He kept saying that phrase, if this were a normal heart attack, you could expect this or that. Um, and so we're listening, we're trying to take it in. This is an hour and a half after they got it right in, did this treatment, put in a stent, collapsed, put in a stent. And she was stable-ish. And he came out to talk. And he just said, you know, we have to just wait and see. And then he got up and he started walking away. And so I got up and kind of left the group behind. I said, could you just be more clear? Um, is my mother going to survive? And he said, I'm hopeful. <laughs> you know, I'm hopeful. We just have to wait and see. And he wouldn't say anything else. And that's where we were. Um, and you can just wait. And I had this, I had this passage in my, in my heart. I was trying to listen to it. I'm like, okay. 
I'm listening to this story unfolding before me. I'm listening to this story, centuries old, millennia old. Is there anything here? Is there any intersection here? And into my heart came the only hymn that I know that combines crumbs of bread, which is the illustration used in this story, crumbs of bread from the children's table with a heart attack. There is one song. It's a hymn that involves lyrics about crumbs of mercy and a heart attack. It's an old hymn. It's called My Business Lies at Jesus' Gate. I don't know if any of you know it. It's obscure, but it was retuned a few years ago by an artist that I listened to, and it goes like this. My business lies at Jesus' gate. Where many beggars come. My business lies at Jesus' gate where many beggars come. And here I sit and here I wait for mercy's falling crumbs. The Lord I hear the hungry feeds and cheers the souls distressed. He loves to bind up broken reeds and heal a bleeding breast. That, that was it. A bleeding breast. And so I said, okay. It just came. What does my story have to do with this woman's? What does praying for a daughter have to do, you know, 2,000 years ago, have to do with praying for a mother in 2021? On what basis do you come to God for the healing of a child or a mother? The answer is none. There's no earning. There's no having the right ethnicity. There's no praying hard enough. There's no amount of time that's enough on your knees. There's no back sack of good deeds that you haul around with you, that you pull out to merit God's healing in a moment like this. There's no correct religious history in your life of a, just, a, just a squeaky clean record of people worshiping Jesus for generations back. That doesn't earn you anything at the knees of Jesus. None of that's fertile ground. But, for one thing, a heart that would simply say, I claim nothing but your mercy. I have no other plea. But that you would have mercy on me and there's nothing I can point to to deserve it other than the fact that you're merciful. And I put whatever, whatever faith I have in that news right now. This is a fertile place. Uh, about 500 years ago, the very first book of common prayer written by Thomas Cranmer had a prayer that echoes these words before people came to this table, which we're going to do in just a moment. And it goes like this. Cranmer wrote, and the whole congregation would pray aloud together. We confess that we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. Every week when they came to communion, they prayed this. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. So we come trusting in your great mercies. Now this, has been, this theme of bread has been there in Mark, hasn't it been? You have the feeding of 5,000. The question is, is there going to be enough bread? 
this question all throughout Mark so far, is there going to be enough bread for 5,000 people? The answer was yes. A couple chapters later, for 4,000 people, the answer was yes. For the disciples in the boat with Jesus, who only brought one loaf, and they're talking to each other, is this going to be enough bread for us to survive? Jesus is saying, the answer is still yes, because I'm here for you. And right here, this story about the smallest crumbs of bread, is there going to be enough bread of life for me? This is a question the whole world can ask. And the answer can be yes. But only when it is asked from the fertile place. From the fertile ground. Of claiming nothing. But the mercy of God. And this is the place we must assume. If we will be saved by him. And if we will grow in him. And if you know the gospel, you know the amazing thing is, this is the place that Jesus himself assumes first. By taking his place on the cross, which is a place for criminals, which is a place for dogs. Isn't it? The cross? No Roman citizen could be crucified on a cross. It was too low. It was too disgusting. Too unlookable. You had to look away. A place of too much humiliation. Jesus takes the place of dogs on the cross so that unworthy people can rise to sit at the table of the children. He's the only one who deserves to be there. This is the whole gospel. This is the main point of the whole book that we're given. This is the place of fertile ground. Will you join him there? Which is a crazy question to even ask. That's the gospel. He offers his life as our own. And this is the only way for us to be lifted up to the table. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.